Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Many times, Paul likens the Christian life to sports, and you can read that through his writings. Sometimes it's running, sometimes it's boxing or wrestling, but he likes to use those types of metaphors. In this case, he's going to paint the word picture of a Christian life as one who is running a race. So get that in your mind as someone who's running the race, whether it's cross country or a relay, but he's going and he's going against others. And when one is a race, you have to remember that you're instructed not to look back. I don't know if you ever see that. You always, you always, isn't that what we say in a scary movie? What always happens when someone is running from the guy with the axe or from the monster, what do they always do? They look back. What happens when they look back? They trip over a non-existent tree root. And you're saying, stop it, just keep going forward. And that's what you are encouraged not to do when you're running. If you're looking back, you're not going to keep your eyes focused. You're going to wind up stumbling. You're instructed not to look back or to get distracted as that will throw off your rhythm and cause you to drift in another lane or cause you to stumble or to slow down. We're to keep our eyes ahead of us as we're focused on that finish line. Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, his own race, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he here is asking the Galatians, What happened to you? Why did you take your eyes off the goal, off the finish line? They had responded positively to the gospel message and to Paul years before. They have received the Spirit of God as proof of their salvation. And he desires for them to continue to prove their calling and to live out their profession of faith. And by the way, that's the same call that goes to you and I. It's not enough to just say, Jesus, come into my heart, save me of my sins. It's not enough just to come forward or say a prayer, but we're to live out that profession of faith. Paul had told the Philippians that he pressed on on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. However, the Galatians have taken their eyes off the goal. They have allowed someone to distract them from their race. Interesting, someone cut in front of them, and it's kind of like a wordplay there on circumcision and the cutting of the foreskin, which has been the object here that's been of debate. They've allowed someone to distract them from their race, and they're no longer following the way they should go. In this case, it's the Judaizers who infiltrated the churches with another gospel that has attracted the tensions of the believers. Instead of following the true and the pure gospel, they allow themselves to be seduced by the flesh and by trying to please God by observing the law and circumcision. 
And there's some things then that Paul wants them to understand about false teachers. He says, you need to know something about these type of men. I've told you about false teaching. Now I want to tell you some things about these men and women who will share these types of things. Now as I share them, he's pointing out here in Galatians, we're going to look at these four things about them. But as we read them, they're very true about false teachers today. So let's look at it. I want to share with you four things or four facts about some false teachers that we find here in this passage. The first thing you need to understand is their origins are not from God. They are not from God. Look what he says. This persuasion, this this teaching to become like Jews is not from him who calls you. And who had called them? Jesus, God the Father. says, come unto me. God the Father embraced him through the work of Christ. And many people many times think, well, this teacher must be from God. Look how persuasive he is. It sounds like it's true. Look at all that he's done. Look at the the, the ministry he has built. But let me tell you, the Bible says that their origin is not from God. The Judaizers had convinced the Galatians, that they and their message, speaking of themselves, was from God. However, false doctrine does not come from God. It comes from Satan, the father of lies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul had written about the false apostles to that church. And he says they are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says, it's no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end, though, will correspond to their deeds. What we find there is that many times false teachers and false doctrine will have a nugget of truth. They will take the truth and they'll wrap it with their deceits. That's what Satan did in the garden. It's what he did to Christ. He takes God's word, he takes just a nugget of a truth, and he gives it. And that's why I believe so many times we are distracted or we are seduced by false teaching because we hear some truth and we're drawn to that truth, but it's a switch and a bait. For their origins is not from God. Just because it's true does not always mean that God is presenting that truth in that format, for they will take it and distort it and dilute it. In John chapter 8, 44, he has spoken to the rabbis and to the Jewish leaders. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So let me share with you, when we find false teachers, their origin is not from God, but it has demonic backings. It has the approval, the stamp from Satan himself. Now, do they know that? No. Is that apparent? Probably not. Many times I believe the false teachers themselves are deluded. I believe that they have, they have an illusion that they themselves are from God and have no understanding of what the truth is. The Bible says that they are not origin. The second fact that I'd like to share with you as we come from this about false teachers is that their message is poison as their teachings infects the church. 
Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And obviously you can understand those of you who have some cooking skills, leaven is speaking of a yeast. All it takes is a little bit of yeast, you put it in the dough, and it's that which creates the bread to grow, and it affects and permeates the whole loaf. Many times in Scripture, leaven is used of sin, and he warns us many times, do not let that yeast grow. Undetected, left in there, it will permeate the whole bunch. In other words, their influence may be small, but it's mighty in influence as it slowly permeates the body and dilutes the gospel. I tried to find that scripture a little bit earlier, and it just eluded me. You may know it as soon as I speak of it. Allow me to paraphrase it. But it says that there will be a time during the end days when people will be open to that. It says that they'll have like itching ears wanting to hear those types of things. And they'll be drawn away by their own lust and selfishness. And I think many times that's what people want. If you tell people what they want to hear, they'll come in droves. Many times we'll say, but look at that church. He has 40,000 people. That church has 10,000 people. That church is 700 people. How could he be wrong? It's because it's what we want. Many times the faithfulness that's happening in the Christian world is churches like ours, small churches that are faithful. And let me tell you, there are people who have not come back to this church because they don't like the message of God. They may want a bigger church, and I can all understand that. But never let them leave because they did not hear the Word of God. There are many who will hear the Word of God and reject it, but swallow whole the very lies of Satan. Why? Because it attracts. It builds them up. But we see that the third fact that Paul shares with us is that of the false teachers is that their fruit is destructive. Their teaching is destructive. Look what he says. The one who is troubling you. Does that sound like a minister of Christ? Does that sound like truth? Does that sound like it's from God? No, Scripture and truth is to do what? It's to build up, not tear down. And many times I can look back in the history of this church and I can see times and, and people give us uh, testimonies of things that were allowed in here and instead of building up the church, it destroyed it. It tears down. We need to be careful of that. That's the fruit of those who teach wrong things. It's destructive. It troubles. The Word of God may trouble, but it troubles in convicting. In this case, it troubles in which it's destructive. And then fourthly, the fourth fact to understand is that their end is judgment. Their end is judgment. It says they will bear the penalty of their endeavors. We saw that earlier in, in 2 Corinthians, their end will correspond to their death. Matthew chapter 7, you know this passage of Scripture. If you want to turn to it you real quick, this is Matthew 7, 21. Jesus is speaking to His disciples. And once again, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Well, what's important here? You've heard me say this before. It's not that they were unsuccessful, for they were. 
God does not say, well, you know what? You really didn't do that. No, there was power. They were able to do some of those things. And it's not as if these people knew what they were doing was wrong. For it says, then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think they are going to be coming into there, and as they proclaim all the good works, I think they're going to be deluded in thinking they did the right thing. And it's not until he says, depart from me, I never knew you, that they'll say, I think there's going to be a collective gasp as they realize then that they truly did not know God. So we must be careful because, again, we see that there are many people who can do mighty works. It says that they were successful, but yet their end is judgment. I refer you back to 2 Corinthians. These are on our website and, our, and on iTunes. And when we spoke on the fruit and the sight of a true minister of God. A true minister of God is one who's faithful to God's word and speaks God's word faithfully. You must ask if I would, then what's our defense against such teachers? If we find that they creep their way into us, it's not that they come through the door blasting with banners saying, reject Christ, reject Christ. How do we defend ourselves? How do we become alarmed? For he tells us in Matthew 7, 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In other words, they're going to come to us as Christians. They're going to come to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. They will have a profession of faith. They will look like you and I. They will smell like you and I. They will sing like you and I. They will know our language. They will know our culture. The Bible says inside that they're truly ravenous wolves and their desire is to devour you. How do we protect ourselves against that type of danger? Jude chapter 1. Well, it's the only chapter in Jude. But I say that because if I say Jude 4, you're going to look for Jude 4. It says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed or designated for condemnation, ungodly people, listen, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And I think that's what's happening many times with the health, wealth, and prosperity message, or making God your life coach, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect ourselves? How do we look for those people? It could be the people next to us. It could be the people that are in our small group. Well, here I find in verse 10, God's great promise to his children against the false teachers. For if you have your Bible, look in verse 10 of chapter 5. As Paul states his confidence that God protects his children from those false teachers. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Amen? You see that there's a promise there. You can read through it and not get it. But he says, I have confidence that you'll take no other view than that which we have already given to you. Why? Because he trusts in their salvation. Paul remains confident of their salvation and that they will respond to his teaching on this matter. Paul issues the same confidence to those in the Philippians when he writes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
You and I can find great comfort and great doctrine that God preserves His children. We read of this in our scripture reading, 2 Peter chapter 2, the first verse and the ninth verse. Look at it with me. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, again, who will what? Secretly bring in what? Destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. But look at verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. I'm reminded, I, I, I'm not going to get this prepared, but in Matthew chapter 13, I believe there's some parables about the, the wheat and the chaff. And then you might remember that, that the Bible says there's a great field and God plants and, and he's wanting the wheat grow up, but at night the enemy came in and planted weeds. And so the workers go to the master and say, well, should we go and cut out and pull up all the weeds? And what does he say? He says, no, lest you do damage to the wheat. He says, but in the end, the angels will come and they will reap. And so in that, he's obviously bringing it back that in many times, in all churches, by the way, let me just say this, in all churches, let me generalize. And I think I'm safe to generalize. In all churches, there will be Christians and non-Christians. Those who profess Christ and are Christians and those who profess Christ and truly are not Christians. They're going to grow up side by side, many times hearing the same words, singing the same songs, praying the same prayers, doing life together, but many times they're going to grow up and we may not be able to always tell the difference. But what we have to trust is that God in His providence will protect his children, and his people. So when we hear beware of false teachers, it's not to be wary and say, oh my goodness, we got to carry around garlic, water, and, and crosses and just hold everything out. No, we're not to do that. But we're to beware, we're to be known, and we're to be aware of these things happening in our church, trusting that God's word, the gospel, is true. And it opens up the minds of those blind and the hearts. We see the contrast between false teachers and those that reject the false teachers. False teachers receive rejection and judgment, while those that reject the false teachers receive acceptance and protection and reward. In verse 11, Paul addresses any hypocrisy on his part when it comes to this matter of circumcision and Mosaic law. We had already talked about the false teaching, the doctrine, but now he says there he could say, well, Paul, you taught the same thing. Are you then not a false teacher? Paul says here, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. At one time, Paul did preach circumcision and full observance, of the Mosaic Law. He was so adamant in teaching that, that he was the one who led the charge to persecute and to kill followers of Christ. But even after a supernatural encounter with Christ in the Gospel, Paul did not fully abandon circumcision and observing the law. As we read in many portions of scriptures, Timothy, he compelled Timothy to become circumcised. He did not fully abandon it, 
We see many times in Acts that Paul fulfilled the things of the law. He observed the Sabbath. He observed the feast. He went and made himself uh, under a vowel in Jerusalem. His accusers might have pointed out that since Paul allowed Timothy to be circumcised, that Paul taught it. However, Paul was okay with circumcision. He was okay with observing the law as an ethnic cultural symbol. He just didn't agree with it as a matter or a condition for salvation. And that was the difference between Paul's teaching, and I believe scriptural teaching, and that of the Judaizers. For they taught that you must do it to be made right with God, to belong to the family of God. The fact that he still received much persecution and animosity from the Jewish leaders throughout the world shows that he upheld the truths and the priority of the cross of Christ. Which leads us then to the last verse and how Paul handles false teachers. As you can see, Paul doesn't hold anything back, does he? Paul is a man who's just going to speak his mind. And in this case, we can say he spoke his mind with the permission and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. For in verse 12, he uses some shocking language to make a point. When he writes, I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. It's not a word that you and I typically would tell someone. That seems kind of unloving, by the way. That's the kind of world we live in. It's don't, if someone is wrong, don't tell them that they're wrong, right? If they're in error, just let them be in error. Don't call a spade a spade in this world. Let's be tolerant and let's just allow them to do their thing and let God sort it out in the end. But Paul was not going to have that. He's not going to let these teachers unsettle the people of God. He's not let the teaching go on. He's saying there's no profit in circumcision. So let's just stop it. This is wrong teaching. It's contrary to the Word of God. And those who teach such things, he said, are accursed. In Paul's view, to be circumcised is no different than the pagan ritual of cutting yourself. And you and I can remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal as they were bringing down fire from heaven to see which God was greater, the God of Israel or the gods of Baal worshippers. And then you might remember that as they were going around, the prophets of Baal were pleading with their God, Baal, send down fire. Didn't happen. So Elijah, being Elijah, was saying, maybe your God is on a journey or maybe he's asleep. So what they do, they grab their knives and they start cutting themselves. Once again, thinking that that was going to bring pleasure to their God and was going to get his attention. Paul says there was no profit in it then. There's no profit in now. And if all you are is about cutting off flesh, well, you might as well just go ahead and just cut the rest off because it does you no good. Again, pretty strong words. But let me tell you, we need to address forcibly when that type of teaching comes in. Because when we treat it any less, we treat it that there might be some truth in it. Too many times Christians have just set back and said, well, we just don't want to get involved. I was just reading an article of World Magazine. I, I recommend it to you. It's like Time. It's like Newsweek. It just gives you the world events from a biblical perspective. But they have a great article on abortion. As This was the 41st, I think, anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And then it spoke about pastors and churches who were silent in the 70s during that 
early debate and from then on. Where have been the churches? Where have been the pastors? And obviously there's been some over the years, but as a voice we have not spoken. In the same way, where is the churches when this truth, when this truth is being uh, diluted and perverted? Where are those who are going to stand up and say, this teaching is wrong, do not let it trouble you? Again, we live in a world in which you say you can't do that. But yet we're to do so. I'd like to share just a few things. And I take no joy in this because I think it's something that we ought to do, but I have no joy in doing it. I like to name some of the popular false teachers that I believe that are out there that are diluting the gospel and spreading something that is harmful to the body of God. Now, doing so means that I may pick some of your favorite ones, and the ones I pick are the ones that I see my own family, not speaking my immediate family, but my family back home, and other friends quoting their books, quoting their messages, and liking their pages. The things in which we see. This is not an event saying it's us versus them, but you need to point out. Now, with it, I don't say that everything that they say is wrong. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. But it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it something that I want to listen to. There are many people that are following the words and the wisdom of T.D. Jakes. And let me tell you, he's a man who denies the Trinity. And in denying the Trinity, he denies the very salvation of God. And you say, why do you bring him up? We don't even listen to him. And maybe culturally, he's not in your wheelhouse. He's not in your sphere of influence. But just several years ago, some great pastors, people we admired in the past, had brought T.D. Jakes in, for a church-wide international conference or seminar-type thing in which they brought him in. And many men of God say, wait a second, he doesn't believe in the Trinity. He doesn't believe in God of the Bible. He preaches a whole different gospel. And these men said, well, wait a second, we think he might have uh, uh, renounced that. Let us get together and let's talk to him. And so many said, okay, let's hear what he has to say, while others said he'll never change. And listening to it, they accept him as a brother in Christ with no rebuke, with no real questioning of his beliefs, and sent him out and says, oh, he's one to be trusted. And let me tell you that his words, they're powerful. They're entertaining. Every one of these people are entertaining. But their words are not from God. Their origin is not from God. Joel Olstein, probably the most popular one out there. He teaches God as your life coach. All he's concerned is your best day be like every day like Friday. I take no pleasure in saying that. And again, there's some wisdom. There's some common grace. All he is is a Christian Tony Robbins. That's all he is. It's like Norman Vincent Peale put the brand of Christianity on it says he has the largest church in America, 40,000, and we brand him as an evangelical. But if you stand before him, he cannot even tell you what hell and heaven is. He cannot even tell you what the gospel is. His only defense is, well, that's not my thing. That's a preacher of God. Joyce Myers, a popular one. Again, one who doesn't know the gospel, preaches a different gospel. But yet she speaks a lot of things that are positive. She does, I would admit. Her life story of coming up, of her marriage and growing up is very powerful and very compelling, but yet there's no gospel in there. To be honest, 
here's where I'll be stepping on toes, probably everything you're going to find on TBN. I see the Facebook pages. I see the likes. I see the people bringing in the books and the articles. Let me tell you, people, there's nothing there that you're going to find that's going to be edifying. I don't have any joy in saying that. I would love to reach around and say, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They do preach a Christ, but let me tell you that Christ is a shortened Christ. And should I wipe with a broad brush? I want to be careful in doing so, but I need to point out, we need to beware. Beware of what you let in your home, what you let in your heart. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's not my words. That's Christ's words. That's from the Holy Spirit. I read just what he has here. Now, I have my various opinions, and we can disagree on that, but let's agree what Scripture says. Their origin is not from God. Their fruit is destructive. Their message is poison. Their end is judgment. And like a pied piper with his pipe, they're leading many astray. We need to stop and consider what we listen to, what we hear, and who we promote. If I stepped on any toes, I do not apologize. For the Bible tells us as elders that we must feed and protect our children. I will say that I could be wrong in naming some of these names, the ones I named are ones I think are very clear. Let me get down to the practical living that you and I need to do. So what does this have for you and I 2,000 years later? This is some Judaizers that are borrowing or bothering some church in Asia Minor. They're in Turkey. What does it have to do with us? Well, very much. For we are too are under the same type of attack. I think I've shared that in Scripture. I think I've proven that through Scripture and even in our own lives. Let me share with what you and I need to know, need to do, and need to be. First thing is we need to know the truth in order to recognize the error. And I think that's where many of us fail. It's where the Galatians failed. They should have kicked those guys out right when they started preaching it. They didn't. And let me tell you, the history of this church has some of the same problems. They should have kicked it out when it became very apparent what was being taught, but didn't. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, it is on there. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That has been Paul's contention. That's been our theme in Galatians, as you'll see, called to freedom there, Galatians. Freedom is only found in the truth. The truth of the Judaizers was going to enslave those Christians, those early Christians. The message of the false teachers today will enslave you to error. And it leads to death. What we need to know is the truth in order to recognize error. What we need to do is we need to resist any and all false teachers. Even if it's me. Any if it's Dustin. Even if it's any of us, we need to resist any and all false teaching. 1 Thessalonians tells us, test everything, hold fast to what is good. Now let me put a difference here. That does not mean that a man who is faithful to God will sometimes have error or mistakes in his teaching. I will have that. There have been times it's been pointed out to me and I come back and say, oh, you, I never considered that. 
We will have error and mistakes. We good, reasonable Christian men and women will disagree on certain interpretations of the Scripture, but yet the gospel is not one of them. There are some things in Scripture that sometimes are not as clear as I would like them, and Rick and I may disagree with them, but yet we're brothers in Christ because we understand the clarity of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Amen? But we do need to test and resist all things or hold fast what is good. So sometimes there's reasonable pushback and say, are you sure that's what it teaches? And we may even disagree, but yet when it comes to false teaching, we need to resist it. Anything that presents itself against God. And what we need to be is we need to be confident in the protection of God. I love this verse found in Psalms 27. He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Let me tell you, that's the American Christian church. That's the international church for decades now. Yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. We need to be confident in the protection of our God. Let me give you one side note. The fact that you and I are to know the truth, the fact that we are to resist all false teaching, and that we need to be confident in the protection of God, shows me the importance of guarding the front door of our church through membership that requires informed members. Many times people say, why does a church have membership? Well, one, it shows that we belong. There's some, there's some added benefits to it. It says we belong. It says I stand with you. You can count on me. We put ourselves under elders and, and rulers and authorities, as Scripture tells us to, but it also protects us as we know what you believe. I'm always wary of people who come into a church and seek out influence, but yet they never want to become a member of a church. And let me tell you, that's not Scripture, and I can take you through Scripture if you like personally. So I would encourage you, seek out membership. It's the protection that God affords to the church. And you say, well, that just keeps people from coming in. No, I want my door to be big, and I want it to be wide. I want many people to come in and, and test it out, but membership is involved. This is for those who say, I want to be in this church. You can count on me, and I want you to count on my, my support and on my things. So I want to encourage you. This is what God is calling us to do. I'd like to leave you with this last word of encouragement. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul, writing to a different church for a different reason, for a different purpose, says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all of God's people said, Amen. Father, you're a good God. Lord, let us realize that there are false teachers and Father, my heart breaks because for many of those false teachers, they themselves are deluded. Believing themselves to be of you, they do not realize that their very aim and very work is that of Satan. And Father, we hear those words and we just, we rebel against those types of thoughts. 
thoughts of Satan and demons and things like that. Father, we just don't want to comprehend that. That's anti-intellectual. That's against reason. Lord, people are going to think we're crazy, but yet your word here speaks of it. We must understand their origins. We must understand their message, their fruit, and their end. Father, I pray that you would give us strength, and Father, to understand your word, to resist those types of false teaching, and to rest in your protection. Thank you for bringing your word to us. Work in our hearts as you would. We pray this in the name of your Son. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.